You're listening to the American Home Contractors Podcast. This episode was originally edited for YouTube and may include moments or references that make better sense with a video component. You can find this episode under the same title on the American Home Contractors YouTube page. Now, on to the show. We have scheduled our appointment. We have our solar roof booked. Now it's time to install. So let's start here. Will the pieces of the roof, those products, be delivered before the crew arrives for install, or are they going to bring those on the day of installation? The solar roof materials will be delivered before the crew arrives. So typically that happens a few days or a few weeks. It just depends on weather, depends on availability of the materials, but it will be before the crew arrives. So materials will come, they'll be drop shipped, so you need space on your driveway, in your garage, wherever we're gonna store and house those materials, it's good to tarp and protect the materials if they're gonna sit outside for a long duration. Not to mention, everything's packaged in boxes, so you don't want the boxes to get wet and deteriorate and crumble apart and make it more difficult to move the materials once our crew arrives on site. You want it to all be nice and fresh and easy to you know spread out over the, the driveway so we can see what we have. Because there are a lot of parts and pieces that make up the Tesla solar roof system. So obviously the space required for this delivery will vary depending on the roof size. You know, not every roof is gonna require the same amount of products, but just using, let's say a Tesla Model 3 as a standard measurement, uh, like a four-door sedan, how much space is going to be required for uh, these products? So the space requirements for Tesla solar roof depend on the roof size, the system size, right? The complexity, mm -hmm. a lot of variables go into that. But generally speaking, I would plan for about three or four Tesla Model 3s of space for the materials. And the materials are the underlayments, the tiles, both active and inactive, the metal flashings, some of the electrical equipment as well, power wall batteries, the inverters, the gateways. So when you take all of those materials combined together, yes, it's going to be about three or four Tesla Model 3s as a footprint. And some of them we can store in the garage if somebody has a garage, right? You need to move things out of the way. Some of them can be stored in the driveway. We just want to make sure that, you know, for safety reasons, we don't want materials to be sitting out too long and other people to stumble upon them and possibly take them. Right. So we want to be strategic when we deliver these materials. So usually early on, we do a site survey after everything is agreed upon, right? How big the system size is going to be up front, how big the roof is. You know, we make some assumptions remotely. Then we get on site, we do our site survey, we figure out, you know, any missing information that we couldn't capture remotely, we get while we're on site. And one of the most important things we get while we're on site is the site conditions. So how big is the driveway? How big is the garage? If there is a garage, is there available space inside the garage for us to access and store equipment? But one thing to keep in mind is it's not just the materials that we need space for. We need space for the vehicles, mm. the dumpster, the dump trailer, dump truck, um, whatever we're using for that particular project. We also need storage for the brake and other equipment that we're going to leave on site because this isn't a job that gets done in a few hours or even a day. I mean, it's a, a few days 
a few weeks sometimes, depending on the complexity and the size of the project. Uh, you just said break. What is a break, the break? What is that ah, terminology? Yes, the, the metal bending break. So mm, we okay. use a commercial grade metal bending break for the metal that we use with Tesla Solar Roof. It's 26 gauge Galvalume. The color's black to match the roof. And it's a thick metal. So we need a special heavy duty break to mm. bend this metal. And this break is rather large. It's about 11 foot wide, 10 foot, six inches. And, you know, it's, it's kind of bulky. Oh, so that's like a siding break, like what they use on siding projects, kind of, right? Yes. The siding breaks are typically not as heavy duty as this heavy duty break that we use for Tesla solar roof materials. So even though you have three or four Tesla Model 3s, you know, as far as the footprint's concerned with the material, you still need to take into consideration once the crew comes, there's going to be a few trucks that they're going to use, you know, trucks to not only bring the crew members, but also bring the dump trailer, some other large pieces of equipment sometimes. Some, some projects we have a boom yeah. that's involved. So we'll need ample amounts of space for that. So it really depends. It's, it's project specific, but generally speaking, we want to have access to as much of the driveway as possible and as much of the garage space as possible, whatever the homeowner is willing and able to provide us with. And then we go from there. We work with the homeowner to make sure that they have access to any parts of their driveway or garage that they need over the course of the project. A lot of our homeowners have electric vehicles, so they need the capabilities to bring their vehicle up to the garage and charge it, usually where their wall connector is or their EV charger is located. So we need to be very mindful of where the homeowner needs access to and also walkways, front doors, side doors, that kind of stuff. So you're talking about a lot of people that are going to be moving and grooving on the lawn, on the property. When the crews arrive, when things are delivered, once the hustle and bustle picks up, I mean, is my yard going to get ripped up? So there could be a little bit of collateral damage with any type of construction project. We try to minimize that as much as possible. So we may need some space in the front yard, especially if there's not a lot of driveway space. But generally speaking, the front yards don't get destroyed. Side yards don't get destroyed. It may be minimal where we need to, you know, rake in some dirt, some topsoil, plant some grass, put some straw down. I mean, that's pretty much the, the worst case scenario with the yards. But no, you're not going to lose your entire front yard. The best rule of thumb is give us as much driveway and garage space as we can because we're going to want to store our materials, our equipment, everything on site. And it's obviously best to have that stuff on pavement or concrete right, right. than grass. Uh, and do I have to be on site during this delivery process? So you don't have to be on site for the delivery process. It's always best to have somebody on site when something like this is being delivered. And that way you can kind of direct traffic, say, hey, I'd like some of these materials in the garage. I'd like some of these materials stacked over here on the driveway. Otherwise, we just have to do our best to communicate that with the delivery truck driver. We have to be, you know, say, hey, you know, they want it on the left side. Don't block the right side of the garage. But it's always best practice to have somebody there. And we try our best to coordinate deliveries with somebody on site so that we can receive the materials. We can do inventory. We can cover and protect it. Uh, it's not always feasible depending on logistics, but we do our best to make sure somebody's on site. And if the homeowner is willing and able to help us out, that's great. We communicate with them and let them know the, the ideas and the game plan on where the stuff is going to be stored. And early on in the project, during the site survey, when we have the conversation with the homeowner, we discuss staging the project. You know, 
know, where is the dumpster going to be or dump truck or trailer? Where is that going to be located? Ideally, it's located as close to the roof as possible. So the materials can come off the roof and into Mm -hmm. the dumpster. But sometimes it can't be, you know, sometimes it has to be parked on the street. So we discuss those things with the homeowner. We discuss also where the materials are going to go and where our equipment can be stored safely overnight. Gotcha. So besides prepping that area for the delivery of materials, either in my driveway, in my garage, wherever I have space available, other than clearing that space, is there anything else that me and my household can do to prep for installation? Before the Tesla solar roof is installed, before the crew shows up on site, like with any other roof project or construction project for that matter, it's best practice to look around your house and if there's any fragile paintings or things on shelves that could get knocked off or knocked loose when there's people walking around the roof or materials sliding up and down, you know, the the house is going to experience some vibration, Mm -hmm. you know, just with, you know, tons of material coming off the roof and, people being up there, 10, 15 people being on top of your roof, you can imagine that's a lot of activity going on. It's noisy. There's a lot of vibration. When materials are set down, we try to set them down carefully, but sometimes, you know, it gets set down a little bit harder than we'd like and, you know, kind of vibrates the house a little bit. So we do our best to limit that. And then also you just want to, you know, make sure around the house is cleared out as much as possible. Any patio furniture, any plants that are right next to the house, anything you can do to move it away from the house so that it's, you know, it's like a new construction site as much as possible. Ideally, you know, with a new construction site, it's easy because there's nothing outside. It's just dirt, you know, (laughs) dirt. And maybe, you know, maybe there's a walkway or something, but we look out for things. We move some certain things and cover AC compressors. We cover railings and walkways and all sorts of things when we get on site before we even get on the roof. But whatever the homeowner can take out of the equation, you know, we ask that they move it away from their house carefully so it just doesn't get damaged. Okay, so it sounds like that it can be kind of hectic to be inside of the house during an installation. Is it safe to be? I, I can still be in my house if I need to be there you know, during the installation, right? It's totally safe to be in your home during a Tesla solar roof installation. Totally safe. The only caveat is it's going to be noisy and... It's not going to be as pleasant as maybe if you go into the basement or if you go off site, you know, just frankly speaking, like it's going to be noisy. So if you're trying to do something, read a book or go on Zoom calls or virtual meetings or a podcast (laughs) right, on your first floor or second floor, it's probably not going to be the best environment to do those things. So when the crew starts tearing off the roof, it'll be noisy and pretty much throughout the, the roofing process, it's going to be more noisy than, you know without people working around your house. So we always ask that people just keep that in mind. And if they have a basement, they can do whatever they want to do in more, you know, more quiet setting than go down into the basement or ideally, you know, go off site, you know, maybe meet the crew in the morning, maybe make arrangements to go have lunch off site, go to the library, go to the, you know, the coffee shop or whatever like that. But yeah, it's noisy and unpleasant. You know, a lot of stuff's going on and yeah, it's it's just noisy. <laughs> so product plug here. How do I stay up to date as the homeowner getting a Tesla solar roof? Say I do go to the coffee shop or whatever during the installation. How am I staying up to date with an install by American Home Contractors? The best way to stay in tune with what's happening on your project is through company cam. So we use company cam as an app for taking pictures. And the best way for us to keep the homeowner in the loop is to share a timeline link with them 
where they can click on the link and they can access photos in real time mm. of what's actually happening and being taken on site at their project. So, you know, if the homeowner's working remote or they're not on site, and even if they're inside their house, they're not on the roof, they're not, you know, outside, maybe in the front yard looking up and seeing what's happening, but they can access that link, they can see what's happening in real time, they can look at the photos, and if they have any questions or concerns, they can reach out and say, hey, I see these photos coming through the link, what's going on here, what's happening here, how many sheets of plywood were replaced, I noticed that there was some rotten wood, mm -hmm. You know, and that's always a big question early on the project. What are the additional expenses and the wood rot? You know, because we can't see that stuff early on. We don't have x-ray goggles to see through the existing roofing materials and to see how good the actual plywood sheathing is, the structural components that can't be seen in the attic. So we have to make certain assumptions early on, but we anticipate the need to replace whatever is rotten or damaged. It needs to be done per code, per manufacturer spec. So if we do discover rotten plywood, rotten fascia wood, rot, rotten rake trim, we need to replace it. And we let the homeowner know what that's gonna cost up front so that there's no surprise. Now, obviously if you show up and you say, hey, the whole roof has to be torn off, including all the wood, that could be a surprise. But again, hopefully we can identify that early on with an attic inspection during the site survey so that we minimize you know, the unforeseen surprises that occur throughout the course of the project. Right, and a lot of those are handled or addressed during the true up process that we discussed in episode one, correct? You have the initial estimate, then well, you have someone come to the house to actually inspect and look over it in person, but there are still additional costs that may be linked after that process even finishes. Correct. If we identify something during the site survey that was not discovered remotely, say rotten wood or a structural issue with a rafter that's split or a truss that's cracked, then we can anticipate having to make those repairs during the course of the project and we can discuss those expenses upfront with the homeowner. If we aren't able to identify certain things remotely or during the site survey, then, you know, there can still be surprises that come along during the course of the project. You know, when you tear everything off, then you get to inspect the overall roof, the sheathing, the rafters, the trusses, everything. You can see it all to the bare plywood. That's when we identify anything that needs to be swapped out and replaced, and we communicate that with the homeowner. But during the course, there most likely will be small additional expenses if we discover rotten plywood or rotten wood when we're doing the install. But again, compared to the total price of the project, it's not going to be a very big number. Gotcha. You know, the, the main things with any roofing project are the unforeseen wood replacement that needs to be done. So that's the most surprising, I'll say, cost that can come up during the course of a roofing project. Mm -hmm. Other additional costs can be discussed as options while we're on site with the homeowner. Sometimes the homeowner wants additional things installed. We had Starlink satellites installed oh. in the past. You know, hey, while you guys are here, I just bought the Starlink satellite. Can you do me a favor? And while you have people on the roof, can you install it on the rake board? Sure. You know, that's a nice add-on, but, you know, that was unforeseen, you know, and as, as far as upfront, you know, project scope mm -hmm. is concerned, but the homeowner made that change willingly. And then sometimes when we get on site, we discuss certain things and the homeowner wants to add an additional power wall or two. And, you know, we prefer that to be discussed up front and kind of assumed once we go into the project right. of installation, but sometimes things change and, hey, I originally wanted two power wall 
batteries, but now I want four Powerwall batteries. I realize the importance of a full backup, and I really want those two extra batteries. I understand what the cost will be because we did discuss that option early on, and now I'm kind of just really wanting to you know, running to do that. So we've had that happen and additional costs can come up throughout the course of the project, whether it's unforeseen or, you know, the homeowners requesting them. So during the install process, uh, will people need to be walking through my house, through the interior of the home to get up to the attic at all for any of the installation? I know in episode one, we went over the process of how we string all of the solar arrays through the attic, then down the house into the inverters. But does that process happen later when the electricians show up once the roof is installed? Or are the crews going to need access into the attic via the house? I think it's important to separate the installation process into two parts. The first part is installing the Tesla solar roof, right? Tearing off the roof, installing the underlayments, installing the tiles themselves, getting everything set up for the electricians to do their work in part two of the project. Now, part one and part two can happen simultaneously. The electricians can be on site. They can go in and run some conduit through the attics and even install the power walls and certain electrical equipment outside, inside, but it's, it's separate from the roof. And typically what we do is we install the roof first and then we install the electrical equipment after the roof is already installed. Once we do the electrical process, that's when we will need to, to have access to the inside and we will need to have access to the electrical panels outside of the electrical panels, usually on the outside wall, we'll need access to that around the house and we'll need access to the attic. During the course of the roof project, sometimes we do need access to the attic if we're replacing wood, if we're relocating pipes and vents then we would prefer to have access to the attic just in case we can't gain access through the roof. Typically, when we do the roof replacement project, if we're relocating a pipe, we'll tear off plywood, roof sheathing, to gain access through the roof because it's a lot easier to walk through the attic when the wood above us is removed. Then you can stand up, you can move the pipes a lot easier, you're not crammed into an attic with you know, a very small space to work with. It's good to make sure that we, if we need access to the interior of the home, we do have it, but it's more relevant for the electrical portion of the project than it is for the roof installation portion. Gotcha. And we're going to get to the electrical portion of the installation here in just a second. But during the initial install, uh, we are going to be wiring things here and there, connecting the arrays on the roof, right? We're going to be chaining all of the different solar tiles together. Am I going to lose power at all? Is that an issue that I should be prepared for? When we're doing the Tesla solar roof install, we don't need to shut off the power to the house. That only happens when we do the electrical portion and we're tying into the meter or the electrical panel. So we don't need to tie, we don't need to shut any power off if we're doing work on the roof. It's just like any other roofing project. You know, sometimes if you're using some outlets outside, a breaker may trip, but, you know, and again, that's why we do, we, we would prefer to have access to the inside just in case. And the homeowner on site is always good, you know, if they want to leave for part of the day because it's just noisy and, you know, we don't want them to have an unpleasant experience, then go out for the middle of the day, grab lunch, whatever. But it is nice to have somebody there to allow us to go inside if we need to, you know, flip a breaker or something, you know. Mm -hmm. or to you know, flip if we're using saws and stuff outside. But no, we don't 
we don't cut the power off during the Tesla solar roof portion of the install. We do have to cut the power off when we do the electrical portion, when we're tying into the electrical panels. Obviously, for safety reasons, we need to cut the power mm -hmm. and make sure our guys are safe during that process. And it's only an hour or two, typically. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay, so there are clearly different stages of the process, right? We install the roof, then we install the electrical, and then we do PTO, the switch over with your batteries and, and your meter and the utility company. Uh, so for the roofing part of the install, roughly how long is that process going to take? So the roofing portion could be a couple days, could be a couple weeks. It really depends on the system size, the roof size, the complexity, the site conditions, a lot of things, you know, will impact the time it takes to actually do the roof replacement. Mm -hmm. You know, a typical asphalt roof replacement is one day, but we've done Tesla solar roof installs in as little as two days, you know, and wow. I would say typically speaking, it's within a week, right? Even with a large project and a large system size, we've gotten pretty efficient so that we've narrowed it down. And usually we like to build in some buffer with weather and some delays. So yeah, it's pretty quick, you know, pretty quick and painless. You know, that's not a long time to be on site and no. we're very efficient. You know, our feedback from our customers has been great. Hey, you guys, you don't mess around. You get on site, you work hard, you take a quick lunch and you're back at it. And that's what we want. We want to make sure that we can get that roof done as quickly as possible so that homeowner can get back to doing what they were doing. The electrical part is a little less invasive. You know, the electricians come in, they work with the, you know, next to the electric panel, they do the equipment outside. And yeah, we may need to cut off the power for an hour or two and make sure that the connections are done properly and safely. But that part of the process is usually a day or two as well, right? Again, depending on how many batteries are going to be installed, how many inverters, how many gateways, where the equipment's located, how close it is to the driveway or the you know garage, how much conduit has to be run in the attics. Also, so electrical side can be you know usually a couple days or it can be you know a week or something. Just depends on what's going on. But and again, it's not it's not very invasive or distracting when the electricians are on site because we know what we're doing. We're efficient, and the areas that we're accessing aren't really like you know. The livable space. We're not going into the living room. We're not going into the dining room and, you know, the kitchen, you know, mm -hmm. we're, in, we're in the basement, usually the garage, um, outside next to the electric, electric meter, those types of areas where the homeowner's not hanging out. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, with any construction project, you can run into hiccups. It's just the nature of the beast. You know, weather is one of those big things. Are there any other things in the installation process of Tesla solar roof that we have experienced through over 40 installations at this point that may be choke points in, you know, preventing that two day, one day, two day install. So a lot of the variables when installing Tesla solar roof that could cause a delay are variables that we have control over, right? Mm -hmm. By the time we get on site, we have control over the materials being there. We have control over making sure that we do a proper inventory and we know what's on site. We know the site conditions. We have a good grip on the scope of the project and a game plan, where the strings are going to go, where the electrical equipment's going to go. We have everything mapped out before we start tearing off the roof. So all of those variables are in our control. The variables that we can control when we get on site are, you know, the biggest one is weather, you know? So if it starts to rain or it's too cold or whatever, and it, that could cause a delay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then it could push the project out a little bit. 
But assuming that we've done our job up to that point, which we have a great track record of doing, then there's not that many variables that will knock us off course from making sure that we complete the roof install in the time frame that we've allowed for. A lot of this ties back to unforeseen things like wood could obviously cause a delay as well. So if we get on the roof and we tear off the roof and we made assumptions that, hey, there might be a sheet or two of plywood needing to be replaced and it ends up being 10 or 15 or 20, right? That might not necessarily cause a huge delay because we have the manpower out on site to deal with that, but it's going to take a, you know another hour or two. So again, if that pushes into another day, then you know unfortunately that may happen. But the surprises tend to be you know minimal on the roofing side on average, right? Certain projects, you know, you can have more surprises than others. Right. But typically, if you do as much of the upfront work as possible, which we do, we try to identify anything that could steer us off course. With the electrical, a lot of times, again, there's not many surprises because we've already done a site survey. We already know where the equipment's going to go, where the conduits are going to be run. You know, the materials are there. We have an idea of what to do and weather is less important with the electrical because it's all inside. Mm-hmm. So it could be raining outside when we're doing this type of work. So yeah, the, the, the delays and stuff that we can control are, are minimal. A lot of the delays that we experience with Tesla Solar Roof and solar in general comes from third parties and stuff that we have less control over, like the authority having jurisdictions, the AHJs, the permit offices, the utility companies, right, right, the designers, stuff like that, where it's like, hey, this is not our company doing this. We're, we don't have control over how fast we can approve this permit set. We don't have control over how fast we can you know, get these inspections scheduled other than us making a call to the permit office and saying, hey, we're done. We need an inspection scheduled, mm-hmm. right? We're on top of that. Um, meter swaps from the utility company, that can cause a delay. It just, it just depends on how backed up they are. And unfortunately, the biggest backup recently has been the permit offices and the utility companies, you know, just waiting on them to get the paperwork approved, waiting on them to get the inspection scheduled, come out on site, look over everything. And then, of course, swapping that meter out for a smart meter or a solar meter, you know, from the utility company. Unfortunately, that can take a little bit of time. And there's nothing we can really do other than just, you know, squeak the wheel so that we get the oil. So if this is to happen, if, you know, I'm not getting permission from the AHJs, the authority having jurisdictions in the time that I would like, should I be the one that's calling them? Can I call them? Or is that bad practice? Should I run through my certified installer to deal with all of those with all of those processes? So it's best for the Tesla certified installer to handle those processes because when the homeowner makes contact with the utility company, the permit office, again, it's just another party that's involved. And, you know, we appreciate any help and assistance, but we need to work together. We need to be on the same team. So, you know, if we feel in certain situations where it would be beneficial for the homeowner to help out, especially if it's like an insurance claim or something and we're Mm -hmm. dealing with another third party, the insurance carrier, the homeowner is actually the customer of the insurance company. So a lot of times if we can't get what we're trying to get done soon as possible through the insurance company, we'll ask the homeowner politely, hey, can you help us out? Like you're the customer in this situation, right? They're the customer of the utility company as well. So yes, could we work together and help facilitate things to move a little quicker? We could, but it's still going to be a delay. It's not like, you know, it's like anything. If you squeak the wheel, it gets oiled. If you 
call, if you express concern like, hey, I'd like this moved along, moved along, moved along, things tend to move along a little bit faster than if you don't squeak the wheel, mm-hmm. right? So in certain situations, we can get the homeowner involved and we can work things to to get it done sooner than later. But, you know, is, is, is it an emergency? Like, what's the reason that we need to go through these hoops and, you know, stress ourselves out unnecessarily? You know, just know that it's going to take some time working with the permit offices, working with the utility companies. It's just unfortunate, but it is what it is, you know? Once we complete the roof, once we get our electrical installed, that process is pretty quick. We have a lot of control over that. But then after that, with the permits and the utility companies, again, that stuff is more outside of our control. We can influence, but we don't have the control to actually make it happen because it's those third parties that need to be involved and they need to do things on their end so that we can turn the system on, get the meter swapped out, turn the system on and start producing. So I know we've been talking a lot about weather being weather dependent in certain aspects of the roof install, uh, primarily rain. Uh, but is there a temperature aspect as well? It can, it, is it possible for it to be too cold or too hot for us to install this roof? Temperature can play a role in installing any roofing material. Mm-hmm. If it's extremely cold, it's not great to be out doing roof replacement projects. So yes, if it's below, I'd say 40 degrees Fahrenheit, then you want to take extra precaution, things can freeze. Um, It's not going to really have an impact on the stuff that we're doing on the roof. Mm -hmm. But we tend to be outside installing above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. If it's extremely hot, again, we can install it. There's nothing saying that we can't. But if it's 100 degrees and you know 90% humidity it's just unpleasant to work outside so the guys need to take extra precautions drink extra water mm-hmm. and that could cause a little bit of a delay as well because we might not be able to step foot on that roof after 3 p.m. right the roof tiles may be extremely hot yeah, and maybe right. just you know really difficult work conditions so you know typically in our market it's it's nice because it does stay in between the extremes. You know, very rarely are are we extreme cold or extreme heat. It happens. And unfortunately, yes, it can cause a little bit of a delay. We try to avoid it. We try to work as much as possible, work smart. You know, in the summer months, we tend to work sooner, as soon as we can. If the homeowner allows us to get on site 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, we tend to start earlier than in the winter when it needs to warm up a little bit then we'll tend to start 8 o'clock or even 9 o'clock if we need things to heat up and and melt. So we kind of glossed over it in episode one of the FAQs of the process. You know, you, you install the roof, you link all of those solar tiles together in their arrays, you run those electrical cables through the attic, through conduit, down through the house, through the inverter, and then back into the house to, to power it from the roof, right? In that process, you're installing, or you may be installing, should be installing some power wall battery backup systems as well to store that energy that you're producing and and generating on the roof. When is it too late? Like when do I need to decide how many power walls I want to have installed? We always prefer that people make the decision on whether or not they're going to install power wall batteries up front early as possible Mm -hmm. because then we can plan for it. We, you know, we need to design for it. We need to submit drawings to the permit office showing that there's battery storage. We need to include it in the interconnection application. So as early as possible, yes, please make the decision whether or not you're going to, you know, choose to have Tesla Powerwalls added to your Tesla solar roof system. 
but you can add power walls down the road. And if you make an adjustment to the project midway or partway, you might be able to add a power wall or two or more um, during the course of the installation project if we haven't already installed those parts. Just know that that could cause some significant delays if the mm -hmm. homeowner was indecisive or wanted to add battery backup when there wasn't any battery backup originally anticipated, right? It's a lot easier to add, you know, a third battery from two mm -hmm. than it is to add one battery from zero. Yeah, right. Right. So just know that, you know, it's ideally nice to know early on how many batteries you want and need. And that's why it's so important to, you know, plan properly for these types of projects. You want to know, based on your system size and consumption, how many batteries you're going to require. And, you know, the thought goes, you know, how much do you want to back up? Typically, you need two to three batteries to back up a full home, right? A full panel. So, you know, if you're only looking to get one Powerwall battery, that's going to be, you know, a partial backup. You're going to need to typically take breakers out of your main electric panel. You're going to have to put them into a sub panel. And then that sub panel will be backed up from that one battery. And it's 30 amps or less. So you mm. can't back up anything that's 50 or you know, 40, 50, 60 amps. Right. You know, some of those heavier loads, you won't be able to back up with just one battery. You'll need at least two. And then based on system size, you know, it's probably good to, you know, have two or three per electric panel per 200 amps of service. So it's really important to understand that early on, make the decision early on. But you can down the road, if it's a situation, I'm proof of this, you know, if you want to add additional power walls down the road, you can add power walls to your existing system. So again, if you're, if you're indecisive on that or you're unsure, just know that you can always do that. So I have a couple ideas of where I would want to have power walls installed in my home. Uh, will your team tell me where exactly I can install them? Where, just what are the rules around installing power walls? So home energy storage, Tesla power walls can't be installed anywhere in the house, right? You got to avoid the living spaces and it depends on the individual authority having jurisdictions code of where you can install these power walls as well. Some permit offices want the power walls in a fireproof room. Some jurisdictions don't mind if it's just in a non-livable space, but it's not fireproofed with 5 8 inch drywall mm -hmm. or some sort of fireproofing around the batteries. Um, so it really depends. It's really um, specific to the location, um, you know, the individual permit office, the individual county, that type of stuff. But general rule of practice, rule of thumb is you don't want the power walls in a living space, right? You can't put in your living room or family room next to your big screen television. Um, you know, garages, basements next to the electrical equipment, that's typically where we install power wall batteries. Yeah, and you can install them outdoors as well, right? You can install Tesla power wall batteries outdoors. In warm weather climates, that's a lot better than it is in cold weather climates because mm. the cold has an impact on the battery, right? When it's cold outside, it's just like a vehicle battery. When right. it's cold outside, the battery's not going to be as good as if it's 70 degrees. So ideally, you know, in Maryland and certain areas where it does get cold in the winter months, we want to put the batteries inside, in the basement, in the garage, wherever it makes the most sense. We obviously have to think about how much conduit we're running from those batteries to the electric panel. 
So if those batteries, the homeowner wants the battery to be inside the garage, we have to think how far is that garage from the main panel? How much conduit needs to be run? And is there going to need to be any drywall work as well? And that's something that can cause a delay during the course of the project as well. If the homeowner says, look, we originally spoke about having my two Powerwall batteries in the basement next to my electric panels, which is the easiest because mm -hmm. they're right there. I really want them in my garage. Okay, well, there are some limitations for that, right? You can't put the Powerwall batteries behind where the car is going to park because if the car were to accidentally smash into the battery, right. you need to have a concrete pillar separating so if the car were to back up too much it would smash into the concrete pillar and not damage the battery so there are restrictions when we install them in the garages with space and other requirements and every you know again every county every jurisdiction is different on the space requirements in front of the batteries right access to the batteries access to the electric panels that kind of stuff so you know, those are the biggest hiccups that we have on the homeowner side when we're in the course of the project is, hey, I, I thought about the batteries being here. We discussed that initially, but what would it take to have the batteries over there? Well, it could take another day or two of time for the electricians. It could take a lot of, you know, conduit runs, mm -hmm. right? Getting the wires from the battery to the main panel. And depending on the layout of the house, it could require drywall work, paint, you know, it could require a lot more trades to get involved than a simple, hey, you know, I just want it from here to here and, you know, it's no big deal. It could be a very big deal. Are they noisy? Are they going to make any noise at all? The Tesla Powerwall batteries will have a little hum as well. So it's important to, you know, keep that in mind. If you want to put them in a space that you're allowed to and it's close by to an area that's really quiet, you may hear a little hum from the batteries. You know, it's electricity, so you'll hear that a little mm. Gotcha. But it's not it's not terribly loud, but yeah, you just have to keep that in mind. Yeah, and do they generate any heat? Are they gonna get warm at all? Uh, the batteries I have don't seem to get warm, no. Cool. <laughs> so I know we were talking about the installation process, how sometimes in certain cases, the roof can be installed while the electricians are working on the wiring as well. If that's not the case and we need to do electrical on a separate day once the roof is complete or the power walls are a little backordered and we have to wait a day or two to get that process started, can I start using my roof power before my power walls are installed? So no, you cannot use your Tesla solar roof before the electrical portion is complete. The utility company issues PTO when the project is completed, all the inspections are passed, and the meter is swapped out. And then that process to get you know from the meter swap to PTO is usually pretty quick. It's just a matter of getting the meter swap from the utility company. That could be a delay depending on how backed up the utility company is. And again, it's stuff that's outside of our control, unfortunately, but we try to, you know, call on it. We try to facilitate the movement of that as much as possible so that our homeowners, once they get their beautiful Tesla solar roof installed and their batteries, their inverters, their gateways, all the electrical equipment, once everything is installed and inspected and approved, we try to make sure that they get turned on as quickly as possible because we know how excited they are to get everything turned on, start to produce that power and start to look at it through the app. They get to check the production, the consumption, the charging, discharging. They get to play with the app settings. It's a really exciting time after everything's completed and the utility company issues permission to operate. You've been listening to the American Home Contractors podcast. 
You can find us across the web on YouTube, X, TikTok, and Instagram at AHCDMV. If you have an upcoming job or have any further questions about this or another product or service we offer, please contact us at AmericanHomeContractors.com. Thanks. We'll see you in the next one.